I'm Jeff Surratt. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast Church. I'm glad that you are with us today. And uh, how's everybody doing? You doing all right? Yeah, good. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not doing that good. I am really sore. Here's the deal. Sherry decided that we need to get in shape. I told her I'm in shape, round as a shape, but she... She didn't feel like that was the right shape, so she has started us on an exercise. We're exercising an hour a night, and for all you exercise freaks, I think you're insane, okay? There's nothing fun about it. There's nothing enjoyable. It's just a lot of pain. So uh, I just thought I'd open off by whining. Doesn't that make you feel better? Just, in fact, why don't you just turn to your neighbor and just whine just for a minute, just a little bit? That's good. Enough whining. Enough whining. You know, we are kicking off a brand new series called it, it, it All Begins With One. And we're going to take a look together as a church over about the next six weeks. We're going to take a look at the first few chapters of Acts all together. If you're not in a life group, right now is the time to get into a life group because everyone in the Seacoast over the next few weeks is going to study the same things on the weekends and then we're going to, we're going to go together in our life groups during the week. And so this uh, weekend would be a great opportunity for you to find where you can get connected with a life group because this is going to be a lot of fun. We do this once or twice a year and it's a great way to connect as a church. Everyone who goes to Seacoast for the next six weeks needs to be in a life group. And uh, before we dive in to, uh, to the series, would you guys do me a favor? Would you just pray with me real quick? Father, I thank you. What an awesome opportunity to be both with this congregation here and, and with the congregations that, that are at other campuses or joining us on a podcast or on the internet. Lord, we're just so thankful for all those who have gathered wherever they are. And Lord, I pray that right now you'll speak through me or that you'll use my words tonight to convey your truth. And Lord, I just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1939... A guy named uh, Leo Szilard. He was a Hungarian. They described him as kind of eccentric, kind of a charming little guy. And he had fled Hungary. He was a physicist. And when the Nazis began to take over Europe, he fled to America. In fact, he started working as a researcher at Columbia University. And in his research, he realized that a process that some of his colleagues were developing called nuclear fission, he realized that if they took that process and they applied it to uranium, that theoretically it could set off a potentially unbelievably explosive chain reaction. And as he began to think about this, he began to think about the implications. So he went down the hall and he talked with his friend, Eugene Wigner. Eugene was also a Hungarian physicist. And as they talked, they began to realize this was a lot bigger than the two of them. It was bigger than Columbia University. And so they knew that they had to share this with someone else. And they decided the best person to share it with was another uh, Jewish refugee from Europe named Albert Einstein. And they had heard that Einstein was in New York where they were. In fact, they had heard he was vacationing in a cabin on a lake up in upstate New York. And so without 
any further preparation, the two of them jumped in a car and they drove up to this little town. They didn't know where Einstein was. They, uh, one of them had met him before. The other one had never met him. And so they just began looking for Albert Einstein. They saw a little boy walking on the road. They stopped. They rolled down their window and they said, do you know where Albert Einstein is staying? And he said, sure, I'll show you. And so he showed him to the little cabin. They walked up to the cabin unannounced, knocked on the door. When Einstein came to the door, they introduced themselves and they said, there's something we have to share with with you, and uninvited, they walked into the cabin. They spent about 15 minutes explaining to Einstein this theory, this uh, chain reaction theory that was based on work that Einstein had done about 30 years previous. After 15 minutes, Einstein realized that this could have huge implications. In fact, he realized that this could have implications that could change the course of mankind. And so he and Szilard sat down and they wrote out a letter to, to President Roosevelt And they said, here's the deal. There are some scientists working on something that you need to know about. That letter then led to the Manhattan Project, which eventually led to the development of the first atom bomb. And that little conference in that cabin in New York still has implications 70 years later. We're still talking about Iran getting a bomb, North Korea getting a bomb, and it all goes back to these guys in this cabin in New York. York. Now, if we go back in time... 2,000 years, we meet another group of, of, of uh, Jewish men and women. And they have just gotten information that they realize has implications that could change the course of history. In fact, they realized that the information they had would change mankind as they knew it. And so they had to figure out what do we do? How do we, how do we handle this kind of information? And if you look in your Bible, you'll see in the book of Acts, that's where this group of people gets together and they began to deal with this new information, this revolutionary chain reaction power that will change mankind. And so that's what we're going to do in this series is look at the history and the beginnings of this revolution. And it all begins in Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter 1. It's easy to find. It should be uh, well-worn in your Bible. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke, that we've been in for how long? 27 years, that's right. We finished Luke, and now we're starting Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this. In the first book, that's the book of Luke. Luke is the same author that wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote Acts. He says, O Theophilus, which is the same guy he addressed the first book to. So it says in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering. Uh, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, this is audience participation. I'm going to read those verses again. And I want you to see if you can pick out what you think is the key nuclear power chain reaction phrase that's going to change history. And it's in these first three verses of Acts. Let me read it again. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Did you get the phrase? Why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and tell him what you think the key phrase is in there. Real quick, tell him. At the, at the other campuses, tell them, tell the people. If you're on the internet, type it in in the chat. What's the key phrase right now? 
I'll tell you what the key phrase is, okay? The key phrase, the nuclear power, the chain reaction is buried in, buried in the middle. And we read it so many times that it becomes commonplace to us. But there is so much power that it changed mankind. And it's this phrase, he presented himself alive to them. He presented himself alive to them. So what's the significance of that phrase? Well, you see, two months earlier, Jesus was dead. He wasn't kind of dead. He wasn't like in Princess Bride, mostly dead. He was really, really dead. His disciples had seen him uh, beaten almost to death. They had seen him crucified. They saw him stabbed with a spear until blood and water ran out. They saw him sealed in a tomb for three days. He was dead. In fact, no one who ever witnessed a Roman execution walked away saying, I wonder if the victims survived. They didn't survive. Jesus was dead. 40 days before this, 50 days before this, Jesus was dead. No doubt about it. And now... He's alive. Jesus just got up out of the grave. He, got, he, he, he was dead for three days. Do you hear what I'm saying? He got up, okay? He, he quit being dead. He just said, I'm done. He walked out of the grave. He found his friends. He said, hey guys, what's up? I'm alive, okay? To get proper context of this, we hear it so many times. We don't think about it. Imagine this. Imagine your favorite Uncle Tony dies. Don't you love Uncle Tony? I miss Uncle Tony already. I mean, wow. He's just a great guy. So we go to the, we what? We go to the, the, the funeral home, right? And we do the mourning thing and we do the viewing deal. And then the next day we have a funeral and there's Uncle Tony and he's in his best suit and he's in the casket. And at the end we do eulogies and there's flowers and they close the casket and they seal it up and then they put it in the hearse, right? And then we, we follow the hearse out to the, to the, grave, to the grave site, right? And because we love Uncle Tony, we're one of the pallbearers. So we actually help carry the casket out to the, the grave that's open. And, and then the preacher says a couple of words, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Everyone says some things. Everyone leaves, except you decide to stay because you loved Uncle Tony. And so you stay and you watch while they lower his casket down into the ground. You watch as the grave diggers cover the grave over. You watch as the headstone is set in place. And, and then you get your car and you go home and, and you feel bad for Uncle Tony but you knew he was a good Christian man. And so you kind of, you deal with the sorrow. And three days later, okay, you're at home. It's morning. You go walking downstairs to breakfast and Uncle Tony is sitting at your dining room table. And Uncle Tony says, hey, what's up? What's for breakfast? How many of you are freaking out, okay? People do not get up after being dead, all right? Now, 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 we know that in the Bible, there have been people raised from the dead before, right? Amen. But never all by themselves, okay? Never all by themselves. They always had someone pray for them. They always had a prophet or Jesus or Paul or somebody prayed and they were, and, and they were raised from the dead. Jesus is the only person ever up to that point and since then to simply come back from the dead, Okay? All history pointed to that moment. From creation through the Old Testament and the prophets and the kings and all of the things that happened around the world all pointed to the moment, the instant 
when Jesus stepped out of the tomb. And everything since then has been created from that moment. In fact, even our dating system, you know this, uh, B.C. and A.D. is divided by what? It's divided by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It all, it all goes back to that. You see, everything changed at that moment. With the rex- resurrection, the world's concept of God changed instantly. Because of the resurrection, God cannot be thought of as an abstract concept. Because of the resurrection, God is not a cosmic force. Because of the resurrection, God is not a higher power. He's not an intelligent designer. You see, because of the resurrection, God was no longer a distant figure that occasionally became involved in history. See, the disciples, they knew the Old Testament stories. They knew about Noah talking with God. They knew about Moses talking with God. They knew about Abraham talking with God, but they had never experienced that. To them, God was someone they believed in, but very distant. Once in a while, God would come into history and then step out of history and come into history and step out of history. And now, all of a sudden, they look into the face of Jesus and they realize he's God. He he really, really is God. See, because of the resurrection, Buddha can't be God because Buddha didn't die and then come back from the dead. Because of the resurrection, Muhammad can't be God because Muhammad did not die and come back from the dead. Your cat can't be God because your cat's not coming back from the dead. Only Jesus is God. You see, the miracles that Jesus did, think about this for a minute. The miracles that Jesus did. Sometimes we, we talk about the miracles like that proved Jesus was God. It didn't really. Jesus um, turned water into wine. That was cool. Moses divided the Red Sea. Okay. Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. That was cool. Elijah fed himself, a widow, and her son for a year with one little can of flour. Okay? Jesus raised his best friend from the dead. Well, one time the Apostle Paul was speaking, and he went on too long, and a teenager fell out of a window and fell on his head and died, and Paul went and raised him from the dead. You see, the miracles did not prove Jesus was God. Obviously, he was a prophet. Obviously, he was plugged into something supernatural. But when he rose from the dead, all of a sudden, he's God, okay? Only Jesus. (laughs) You guys are like, we know this. We know this. This is big stuff. This is nuclear power. This is chain reaction kind of stuff. Only Jesus showed himself alive to his friends. No one else has ever done that. No one else, you, you don't ever get that chance to show yourself alive to your friends after you were dead. You see, when he did that, it proved for all time that God exists. It proved for all time that God exists within the framework of the history of man. It proved for all time that God exists in the person of Jesus Christ. It proved for all time that God exists in resurrection power. See, Acts begins with Jesus presented himself alive to them. The disciples, (laughs) when Jesus came back, you know how you felt when Uncle Tony showed up at the breakfast table? How do you think the disciples felt when Jesus showed up? Holy smokes. I mean, first they're excited, but then there's got to be something that says, oh, wow, this is big. Guys, this is really, really big. It says that Jesus spent 40 days teaching them about the things that, that, that he had taught them about before, teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. We're going to talk 
uh, in the next week or two about him returning to heaven, the, the ascension. But at this point, there's a small group of men and women who know that they are on to something big. Just like the men that were gathered in Einstein's cabin in 1939, this small group knew that the power that they had gotten a hold of, the resurrection power that they had come face to face with was going to revolutionize the world. You see, the four Gospels are an introduction to the resurrection power. The reason there's four of them is because God wanted to make sure we understood what Jesus did while he was on earth, that we understood that all of it was a run-up to the resurrection. All of it was preparation for his death and his resurrection. And then Acts is the pivot point of the Bible. Did you realize that? Acts is the pi- Everything else revolves around what happens in Acts because before Acts, it's Old Testament. And then it's Jesus. And then Jesus dies. And then boom, there's a resurrection. Every gospel ends. Resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. And then in Acts, all of a sudden we find out what happens with this resurrection power. Jesus has unleashed resurrection power on the earth. What happens because of that resurrection power? I'll tell you what happens. Right after this chapter, in the next chapter, we're going to study about Pentecost. You know what happens on Pentecost? Is the Holy Spirit comes down. What, what, what is that about? Well, when, when this Hungarian scientist went to Einstein, he theoretically knew that a chain reaction could be set off by bombarding uranium atoms, but he didn't know how to do it. He knew it could be done, but he didn't know how to do it. He didn't know how to harness it. So they spent five years figuring out how to make this happen, how to harness it, how to create this bomb. And then that was the Manhattan Project. Pentecost is like the Manhattan Project of Christianity. See, the disciples suddenly had resurrection power but it wasn't catalyzed yet. It wasn't ready to launch yet. And on, on, on Pentecost Sunday on, on, in Acts chapter 2, that's when God poured out the Holy Spirit. And that's when the resurrection power was catalyzed. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all this power was unleashed on earth through men. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, that was God's resurrection power. But then in Acts, we begin to see that same resurrection power flowing out through men. Peter on Pentecost gets up. He preaches his, this, this guy just ticks me off, I got to tell you. As a preacher, okay, as a guy who likes to preach, first sermon, first time out of the box, okay? Peter doesn't study one minute, okay? Not one minute. As poor a job as I'm doing here, I've studied hours to get even this bad, okay? Peter doesn't even crack a Bible. He gets up, he speaks, he goes through the whole Old, ne- New Te- Old Testament. He doesn't hit one felt need of his audience. He accuses them of killing Jesus. And at the end of his sermon, what happened? You guys know. 3,000 people joined the church. What is that about? I finished preaching and four people walk out. The first, let me tell you, the first time I preached, true story, first time I ever preached, I was a teenager. And I had an uncle who was a pastor. Go, you know, who, who would have figured that? I had an uncle who was a pastor. So he invited me to come preach at his church. So, man, I studied and I, I had me an outline and points and all that good stuff. And I got up and and I preached and preached and preached my heart out. I mean, I gave him everything I had. And I started from the beginning to the end and worked my way to the middle and did it again and over. And, and at the, when I sat down, I had preached for an entire 10 minutes, 10 whole minutes. My uncle got up. The people were just stunned and confused. My uncle got up and said, well, he's a good boy. Um, I'm sorry. You know, just kind of, what's up with Peter, you know? What's up with Peter? Peter had resurrection power. 
He had plugged into the Holy Spirit, okay? That power that raised, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead was at work in Peter and 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. Like the next week, Peter's just walking to the temple like he did every day. He's walking to the temple and there's a lame guy by the gate of the temple and Peter stops and goes, you know what? It's time for you to stop being lame. Let's go. Up to your feet. Let's go. Jesus heals you. Let's do this thing. What happens? He starts jumping up and down. He starts doing jumping jacks. How does that happen? How does that kind of thing happen? It's not just miraculous healing and preaching. This amazing community is formed, a community like has never been repeated on earth. Let, let, let me read a description of it. If you're in, in Acts, just flip over to the fourth chapter. And let me read just three verses real quick. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great... See, people have tried to repeat this superficially. But there's a secret. There's a secret to it. They had everything in common. And with great power, there's that word, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to what? What were they giving the testimony to? To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. How's that happen? I mean, how's that happen? Before we get done with Acts, demons are going to be cast out. Before we get done with Acts, dead people are going to be raised. By the time we get done with Acts, this little Jewish sect of just a few men and women who knew the secret of the power of the resurrection will have grown to tens of thousands of people spread across the entire known world in a span of less than 20 or 30 years. How does that happen? It's a chain reaction of unbelievable proportions. It's resurrection power. It's resurrection power. So, the last few minutes we have together, what's that mean to you and me? I mean, that's good history, right? But what's that mean to you and me? Acts was 2,000 years ago. I'll give you three things real quickly that it means to you and me. The first thing that it means is, gang, God's real. God is real. John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the resurrection proves the reality of God. Did you know that the resurrection is one of the most attested to events in history? In fact, when Luke wrote this book, there were still hundreds of people alive in Jerusalem who had seen Jesus alive. They had seen him put to death and they saw him alive. If Luke had wrote that Jesus showed himself to people alive and no one else had seen it, they would be laughing at him. But no one laughed at this book because it was an accepted fact that Jesus died and he rose again. It's attested by over 500 eyewitnesses. Evidence points back again and again that Jesus rose from the dead. The best evidence that I have is the fact that Jesus' disciples, every one of them, eventually gave their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, no one will willingly die for something they know to be a lie. People die all the time for causes that may, may not be true, may not be real, may not be right, but they believe in them. No one dies for something that they know is a lie. Why would 11 men 
go to their death saying, he's God, he was risen from the dead. You know, there's a, new, there's a new attack on faith. There's a new attack on, is God alive? And it's an attack by intellectuals. And as you read the books by Christopher Hutchins and Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, they call them the new atheists. These guys are brilliant. They're brilliant. They're funny. They're, they're, they're creative. And they, they, they write these books that are really, really hard to refute. And it brings your faith in question. It does for me. It, it, it's a challenge. And then I step back and I, I say, God, is, re- is God real? Is he real? Is, 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 this all just a, is this all just kind of a myth that men make up to make themselves feel better except for one thing. They can't explain the resurrection. They can't explain the resurrection. The only answer for the resurrection is that God is real. And if the resurrection is real, then the rest of it is real as well. He is God He lives, he cares, and he wants to be involved in our lives. The second thing about the resurrection is that we can tap into resurrection power. We can tap into resurrection power. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God for salvation. How many of you grew up in, in a church of some kind, grew up in some kind of church? Did you ever sing this song? I'm not going to sing. Don't worry. Did you ever sing the song that said, there is power, power, wonder working? How many of you ever sang that song? We got Pentecostals back there. Woo! The song said, there is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the lamb. There is power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the lamb. And then the verse said, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. And then it said, that would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. We sang that song as kids and it was kind of sing-songy and we didn't think about it, but the truth of that song is amazing. There's power in the blood. Let me ask you some questions. Where do you need resurrection power today in your life? Is there brokenness in your life? There's power in the blood. Is there fear in your life? There's power in the blood. Do you feel lost? Do you feel alone? Do you feel like you don't know what's next in your life? There's power in the blood of the lamb. Maybe you struggle with guilt or with worry or with anxiety. There's power in the blood. Maybe today you need a healing, either in your physical body or in your finances or, or in your relationship or in your marriage. You know what? For healing, there's power in the blood. Maybe you need forgiveness today. Maybe you just need a huge dose of hope in your life. The reality is, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the chain reaction, atomic power, resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is power for whatever you need and it's available to you today. And the last thing about the resurrection power is how do you access God's power? You access God's power, the Bible is very clear, by seeking him with all your heart, with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you will seek me and find me. Do you notice that? You will, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. How do you seek God with all your heart? First of all, you have to stop pretending that you have it all together. You've got to stop looking good. You have to stop looking like you have all the answers. You have to put aside your pride. You have to stop worrying about what other people think. 
And then you pour out your heart to God. You come to God and you say, God, I'm a sinner. And you confess your sin to God. Whether you did when you were six years old or 16 or 60 or you never have, you approach God. When you need to, when you need to seek God with all your heart, you approach Him saying, I am a sinner. And you confess your sin. And then you ask Him and say, I want you to be Lord of my life. Oh, I did that. I walked down an aisle and they sang just as I am and I made Him Lord. No, no, no. You've got to make Him Lord today again because you need that power. You need that power. You have to have that power. How do you get that power? You seek him with all your heart. You confess your sin. You say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. And then you just pour out your heart to Jesus. You tell him what's going on in your life. You plead your case before God. And, and here's the deal. Here's where old time church, I think, maybe had it right. And maybe we're, we're missing it sometimes in our lives in the 21st century. You're not always going to experience power in a quick three-minute prayer, okay? You're not always going to find God's face in, a, in, in five minutes or before the last song ends. They, they used to do something in, in the church I grew up in, and they called it tarrying. And tarrying basically just meant waiting. It meant, you know what, God? I am so desperate for your power that I'm not going anywhere until I hear from you. I'm not going to go anywhere until I feel the power in my life. See, that's what it means to seek God with all your heart. To say, God, there's no schedule, there's no arrangement, there's no obligation, there's no anything. There's only me and there's you and I have to experience resurrection power in my life because I'm dying and I need to be, re- I need to be alive again. So where do you need resurrection power? And what are you doing? What are you willing to do to experience that power? Would you pray with me? Jesus, how do we say thank you for raising from the dead? Um, We don't have words. But Lord, because you did, we know that you're real. We know that you live. We know that there is power in your name. And Lord, we know that because you came in the form of a baby and you lived among men, we know that you care about us. And Lord, you want us to experience power, resurrection power. Lord, I pray for everyone who is listening now. Lord, those who are desperate for you. Lord, those who it's gone way beyond just an intellectual ascent. It's gone way beyond just a little bit of a need. But Lord, they're dead and they need to be risen from the dead. They need resurrection power in their life. Lord, I pray that as we seek your face, we will find you. Lord, I pray for, I pray for power. And Lord, I believe you for it. In, in Jesus' name, amen.